I spent four Christmases incarcerated. And while it was hard on me emotionally, I know it was the hardest on my mom and dad. Today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about how being locked up during the holidays affects the family and the loved one in prison. And then we're going to talk about how adding the virus to the mix is just crazy. Today, we're going to do a background check on COVID Christmas. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead. Check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down. No. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Background Check Podcast, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. If you want to know more about Forgiven Felons, please visit us on the web at ForgivenFelons.org. And uh, we got some thank yous to say today. First of all, I want to say thank you to the Wayback Reentry Program with T. Ray and Katie. They do amazing work in the reentry field and uh, can't wait to get them back in the prisons. But they do a lot for the guys and girls when they get out. They brought over boxes of food for all of our guys, and then they give backpacks of stuff full of hygiene and everything for our guys getting out. So if you have a loved one that's already out, or if you are already out and um, or they're getting out, check them out at thewaybackhouse.org, and they have some great resources. Secondly, I want to say thank you to Lovers Lane United Methodist Church and Royce Hall. They have an event every Christmas called Everybody's Christmas, and they invite homeless, uh, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, Transitional houses, everyone to hear a a great production, see a great production, eat a great meal, hear a great sermon about Christmas, and then they they, everybody gets a coat and and a little gift bag. And this year has been canceled, but they wanted to give us the coats and the gift bag, and and the guys just love their coats. So thank you, Royce and and Lovers Lane United Methodist Church. Also, a huge shout out to my own home church, Trinity Church. Whoop whoop. They, uh, they donated $11,000 towards our resource center efforts. So that's going to help us in moving forward with that. That's going to be great. So thank you so much, Pastor Jim and Becky. If you're looking for a home church, they are doing in-person church. Visit them on uh, at trinitychurch.org. You can see what they're all about and come see us. And then we also want to give a shout out to Nick and April Pomeroy and Brenna Conklin from PR Equipment in Cairns, Texas. They partnered with us for a $2,500 donation, and they're just incredible people. Nick's got his own story. I think we're going to have him on the podcast one day, both him and April, to share their story of recovery and just growing in the Lord. And I think they're going to partner with us and, and help us raffle off a riding lawnmower maybe in the spring. And listen, thank you. Big shout out to all of you who support us on a monthly basis, or even if you've only given one time. Your gift helps us to continue doing what God has called us to do. Thank you for tuning in today to Background Check. This podcast is all about letting everyone know that God still has a plan for everyone, no matter what their background looks like. We love sharing these stories of people who have risen above their backgrounds 
as well as people who help others rise above their background. You know, I got a question for you. Do you know someone who might be a good guest on our show? I mean, don't just send me anybody and everybody. You know, uh, they gotta they gotta be living right. You know what I'm saying? They've got, had to have rise if they've rose above their background, and they've overcome a lot, and they're doing well. Put them in contact with me. We'll, we'll talk to them, see if we can get them on the show. My info is on the contact page of our website. So today, December 18th, a week before Christmas, I want to share with you a little about a little bit about what inmates go through this time of year, what the families of inmates go through, and how it's all intensified because of COVID. I remember when I experienced my first incarceration during a holiday. It was 26 years and two days ago, December 16th, 1994, that I was arrested for my third DWI. I left the company Christmas party where I'd won a bottle of Maker's Mark, which wasn't my favorite, but to an alcoholic, free liquor is the best liquor. I got pretty drunk that night, and I was living in North Dallas, but I drove all the way down to Lancaster, Red Oak area, to the to a club called the Crystal Chandelier, and then I drove all the way back. I made it within a mile of my apartment when I saw the blue and red lights in my rearview mirror. I was doing well. I wasn't swerving or anything, but he pulled me over because there's a no turn on red sign at the end of Greenville Avenue where it dead ends in a Mockingbird Lane. If, you know, if you're from that area, you know what I'm talking about. I was toast. I was toast. At least I was dressed nicely for my for my you know next mugshot picture. The year before, I got two DWIs in the same week. This time I couldn't bail out as easy, and no one was coming for me. I was spending Christmas in jail. I've tried to block that experience mostly out because it was pretty tra- traumatic for me, but I do remember my family coming to see me on Christmas Eve. My newest niece, Skylar, was born December 8th, just around a week before I was arrested, and I hadn't seen her yet. And and then my mom and dad brought me some basketball shoes to wear as well, so it was really cool. It was great to see my whole family there. There were some tears, but in the back of my mind, I was really beating myself up for being in jail and making them have to come see me during this time. The part that got me the most, that visit, was having to see my little niece for the first time through plexiglass. Honestly, it was really the catalyst for my turnaround in 1995. I realized that day that my decisions impacted more than just me. They have a lasting impression on the world around me, even if I don't acknowledge it or realize it. I had a bad day the next day on Christmas. My emotions were just a wreck, and I was blaming myself for so many things. Which brings me to the next time I spent Christmas incarcerated. You know, I did great for a couple years from 1995 to 1997, but after that I went so far out there, and it took a lot to get me back. On May 21st, 2003, I was sentenced by Judge Gene Kanais to two five-year sentences in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. So when Christmas came around that year, it was tough. But I couldn't show weakness in prison. You don't want to do that. So I I kept busy with, with different things. And I I love to draw. Art was my favorite thing to do in high school and college. So I kept busy with drawing cards for my family. I've got a a couple of them posted on the uh, show page at ForgivenFelons.org. And then go to the Background Check podcast page. There's also a few letters on there from me to my mom that were written during the holidays. One of the hardest things to do while you're in prison is to pretend to be strong. Because most guys... If, if you were to show your true feelings in prison, I mean, admittedly, you know, you feel, you feel weak. 
you feel remorse, you feel contrition, but you can't show those things when you're in prison because you'll look weak. You'll look weak. Our families, I think, are hit the hardest emotionally, and our natural instinct is to be strong for them from prison. I never let my family know how much I was hurting on the inside because I knew what it would do to them. Prison sucked. I got questioned all the time about being in a gang, ridiculed because I didn't want to be. I spent eight days in solitary confinement in September of 2003. So by the time I got to my first Christmas, I was doing good because I came out of solitary confinement serving the Lord. And I was trying to help other inmates get through their tough times too. I recently asked my mom how she felt coming and going on the Christmas visitation times. And she said it was the, it was the same as every visit. She said every visit, there was a sinking feeling as they left. She drove most of the time because my dad, uh, we didn't know it at the time, but my dad was in just his last few years of his life when I was in prison. So my mom drove most of the time and she had to pull over because she was so emotional. She said leaving visitation during the holidays was the, was the toughest. She does remember bringing the maximum amount of quarters on the holiday visits because most of the time they were just barely scraping by to, to bring money, to bring quarters for the visitation but she would always bring the maximum amount on holidays and my birthday. My first Christmas, my mom was working at a retirement center, and of course she had spread the word everywhere. Um, she didn't She didn't try to hide the fact that I was in prison. She let everybody know, which was fine, uh, but, but she was working at a retirement center, and I think I got 100 cards in one week <laughs> that first Christmas I spent in prison. Everyone um, was trying to figure out who I was, because I was getting so much mail. The mailroom also took notice of that. And you don't want the mailroom uh, watching every every piece of mail you come you get. As excited um, as I was to get that much mail, the more the more cards I got was a was a stark reminder that I was in prison and not where I needed to be. I spent three Christmases in prison and each one got better because I focused more on others during that time. My parents still came to see me on that on that third one and brought lots of quarters and and, and my second parole had just been denied. I had to do another year, but it was okay though, because I had prayed for God not to let me out of prison till he knew I was ready to go home and never come back. My first Christmas in prison, I was pretty selfish and wanted to go home very badly. In fact, I was giving my mom and dad orders on, on how to put the parole packet together and all that and who to call. And, but my last Christmas was different because I knew there were people in there with me who had spent the last 25 Christmases in prison already. And some who were about to spend the next 25 in prison. Sometimes a little perspective makes all the difference. As I watch men in our transition, I'll come out and spend their first Christmas on the outside in a long time. I'm reminded of how tough it is emotionally on the inmate and family during this time. But this year is different. It's a COVID Christmas. And this whole year has been tough on our prison system, inmates, and staff. I know and have met a couple of staff that have passed away because of COVID. One of them was a chaplain at the wind unit. TDCJ, Texas Department of Criminal Justice, hasn't done a a great job from the beginning in containing the virus or responding to it at all. So far, more than 27,000 inmates and over 7,500 employees have tested positive for the virus since the beginning of April. The worst part of all this is is the very slow release of information to the families of 
the ones who have died, 172 inmates. 172 inmates and 26 employees have died from COVID since April. Some of these inmates that died were just within weeks and months from actually being released. And sometimes the family members don't hear a thing until a month or two later. This Christmas season will be the hardest ever for families of loved ones in prison. I want you to keep them in your prayers as well as the inmates' health and safety and the guards' health and safety. The inmates do not get to have church and the much-needed activities that keep them pretty much sane while they're in prison and growing. I know some of you are thinking that, you know, man, they committed the crime and they deserve what they get. No, they don't deserve this. They don't deserve a fast-spreading virus in a locked-down prison. At the beginning, they were given one mask, no visitation, no gatherings. Depression, suicide, violence is all on the rise in prison right now. So I just, I want you to, I want you to know that. I don't want you to feel sorry for them because I, I'm, I'm telling you this because the guards are having to go through this too. And, and I need you to keep the guards and the inmates in your prayers. These officers are put in a very bad position as well. And if they don't, if they don't do what they're told to do, they'll lose their jobs. I'm putting a link on the show page to a recently released investigative video that shows how the correction officers are being treated and how TDCJ has handled this crisis. You should watch it. It's very eye-opening, especially coming from the mayor of Palestine where there's five units in his city. Being in prison is hard on the families and inmates during the holidays. It's harder because of COVID. My family is affected by COVID right now. My eight-year-old daughter tested positive on, on Monday as well as some, of, some others at her school. The response was they shut the school down early for Christmas break. We're, and, and, and our response as a family is we're, we're kind of quarantining and, and keeping her and, and us away from everybody. We're doing well, and, and Jessa doesn't have any symptoms and is very excited that school let out a, a week early. But the school and our family have been able to make the changes that are needed to, to ensure our safety and the safety of others. The prisons aren't doing that, and they're, and they're limited to what they can do. But what they're doing is not enough. And this is what happens when there's no oversight. Did you know that TDCJ is not held accountable by anyone? That's right. You heard me right. They're not held accountable by anyone. Yes, there's a board, but that board doesn't hold them accountable. They don't report to anyone. But every year, they ask for more of your money, the taxpayer's money, to keep doing the same thing they're doing over and over. And this is not a private prison thing. It's a state prison thing. It's a state prison. So please keep everyone involved in corrections in your prayers right now, from the, from the staff to the inmates and to the families. They, they need it now more than ever. Not all inmates are dangerous criminals, even though they committed a dangerous crime a long time ago. Doesn't mean they're the same person they are today as they were back then. Can you imagine someone holding you accountable now for your maturity level when you were 15, 17, or even 21? But that's what we do when we think someone who is 45 acts the same as they did when they were in their teens and committed the crime that sent them to prison. What I do know is Jesus died for all the criminals and all the crimes they commit. He did. In fact, he was crucified between two criminals. And one of them came to know him while the other while the other rejected him. But these men 
He died for, right in front of their eyes. He even died for the one who rejected him. So pray for the inmate's safety and salvation. In fact, let's pray now. Father, in Jesus' name, by your Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your healing, your protection. We, uh, we speak life over the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. We speak create, creative ways to contain and respond to this virus, maybe ways that they hadn't thought of yet, but ways that will keep the inmates safe. Lord, we lift up the families of the, in, the inmates, especially the ones that have lost those 172 inmates, the families of those inmates that have died in prison because of COVID. We lift, the, we lift them families up to you. We ask you to give them comfort and peace. But Lord, we ask you to somehow turn it around to make that, that virus stop spreading in prison. There's almost nothing we can do outside of your help supernaturally. But we know you can give wisdom to the staff, to the department heads, to the doctors and nurses. They don't get the same care in prison that we get out here when they when they have COVID. They don't have the containment capacity in there as we do out here. You can't quarantine, quarantine from somebody when you're sleeping four feet away from them. So, Lord... We ask for your protection. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your comfort during these, during the, this holiday season. Lord, give them everything they need, the families, the staff, the inmates. Give them everything they need. And let them have the best Christmas ever, even though it seems like it may be one of the worst ones. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you're doing in the hearts of those inmates. We know that you have turned some of their lives around. We know that you're in the process of turning some more around. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that this Christmas season, prodigals are going to come home. We thank you that this Christmas season, people are going to be released from prison. We thank you that this Christmas season, families are going to see their loved ones. We thank you for Michael Elizondo, who got out in time to celebrate Christmas out here. We thank you, Lord, for our prison system. But, Lord, we know we can do better as a society to rehabilitate our inmates and not just punish them. We ask you to keep them all in your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week where my guest will be my wife and kids. Yes, that's right, my wife and kids, all right? See you next time, and uh, Roger George, I'm going to miss you, man. I hate addiction. I hate what it did to you. And uh, I'm going to miss you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast. Brought to you by Forgiven Felons. Helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. And please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.